Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chapel Real Estate Show, your source where you can buy, sell, and invest with the best in Texas. I'm Roger Chapel, and I'm your host for today's show. So over the past six or seven months or so, Daniel and I have gone over a number of different uh, common problems that we have incurred uh, throughout our real estate transactions. And uh, we've done so many different episodes of them that I felt like it was time to kind of take some of those problems and bunch them all into one single episode. So on this one, you'll be able to, to understand some of the things that happen in different real estate transactions that uh, can cause hiccups or some problems, and sometimes will kill a deal. So uh, that's what today's episode is all about. So stand by. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Chapel Real Estate Show, your source for the latest real estate information so you can buy, sell, and invest with the best in Texas. Whether you're a first-time buyer, a current homeowner, or a seasoned investor, you've come to the right place. We're here to simplify all things real estate so you can achieve your goals of property ownership with your hosts, Daniel and Roger Chapel. So today, I'd like to talk about the chapel chunk first. So the chapel chunk for today is literally listen to your real estate professionals. There's a reason that you've hired them. There's a reason that they're on your team. It behooves you to pay attention to what they tell you and the advice that they give you. This includes lenders, inspectors, and of course, your agent. If you don't feel like you're getting a proper advice from your agent, then you can always go to your agent's broker and talk to them and hopefully get some things worked out. So uh, it's always best to uh, listen to those professionals. They're on your side, and they're actually there to protect you and kind of guide you and, and walk you through this entire process. So um, there are a number of common problems that pop up during a real estate transaction for both sellers and buyers. So with that uh, in mind, I'd like to go over some of the problems. And by all means, this is not a panacea. This is not uh, every single problem that could possibly come up because, trust me, each and every single deal that we do is a bit different than the one that preceded it. And I could actually sell a house in the same neighborhood, or two houses rather, next door to each other, very same similar floor plans, uh, same builder maybe, uh, any number of things will be similar, but the transactions themselves are going to be different. And the reason being is so multifaceted, it's not even funny. So literally you're dealing with people on both ends of these deals. So uh, there's always the human factor that gets involved in some of these things. So uh, we'll, we'll go through some of that. So I'm not only going to tell you about some of the problems, I'm also going to offer some solutions. Some of these solutions uh, actually come before the problems are discovered, and some of them actually happen after a problem is discovered. Because no matter what, whether you're selling a home or you're buying a home, there could be some problems that come up throughout the process that we're going to have to deal with. And when I say we, I'm talking about uh, the buyer or the seller plus the agents and maybe some of the other vendors that are involved in these uh, transactions. So we're going to go through some of these problems, and uh, by all means, too, I don't want anybody to take what I'm saying as advice. If you're already in a transaction and you're working with other real estate professionals, good for you. I applaud you for that, uh, but I also don't want you taking my advice over the advice given by your professionals. Your professionals are on your team and are working your transaction and know your deal a whole lot better than what I do. So some of the, the uh, uh, things that I'm going to tell you today and some uh, – some of the examples that I provide are things that I have dealt with or things that Daniel has dealt with so that we can uh, actually just talk about them and tell you what we did in those situations uh, to kind of make the deal go through. So one of the biggest issues for buyers and sellers, believe it or not, is the financing. Uh, 
So buyers typically go to a lender and uh, they work through their loans and there are several different loan products available and it depends on that particular buyer's financial situation as to which uh, loan program actually fits their, uh, their position. So the lender will be able to walk them through all of that. Now, with that said, at least in Texas, then we have a number of different things that uh, go into a contract that are extremely important. So one of them is uh, uh, the time to be approved for financing. Now, that doesn't mean a final approval, but that does mean a conditional approval. So there are many steps involved in all of that. A lot of it has to do with getting documentation to them on time. So for your buyers out there, if your lender is requesting documents, get them to them in a very timely manner. The reason being is that they're trying to get this to underwriting so that you can get the approval uh, process much quicker. Uh, and the quicker you can get them those documents, the, the better and smoother the transaction itself is going to be. So I have actually seen this problem happen on a couple of different occasions. First of all, when uh, as a buyer, when you begin the process of purchasing a home and you've applied for the loan and uh, you're starting that process, you've now selected a home and you're submitting an offer, uh, there are some things that you need to be aware of. So as soon as you fill out that application, the last thing you want to do is open up any more lines of credit. So what does that mean? You know, typically when folks are moving into a home, they may want to buy a new refrigerator or washer, dryer, or maybe some other appliance. And it seems like every time uh, you get qualified for a loan, you start receiving all of these credit offers in the mail. My suggestion to you is don't do anything with them. The best thing you can do is just forget that they're there and keep moving towards your transaction. And there's a reason for that. So we have what's known as a debt-to-income ratio. So for most folks, when they're purchasing a home, the debt-to-income ratio is one of the critical factors in whether or not you could actually uh, qualify for the loan. So there, there's a calculation for it, and the lenders are much better at explaining all this process than I am. But the bottom line is, once you start opening up lines of credit, then you start messing up your debt. And if your income is not increasing at the time your debt is increasing, then you throw off that debt-to-income ratio. And sometimes those ratios can throw you out of the qualification process for a loan. And I've actually seen this happen a couple of times. Once I had it on the seller side, another time I had it on the buyer side. On the buyer side, we were able to negotiate all that out with the lender and get some things explained. And it actually made it through. We had to delay closing, but we did get the deal done. On the seller side of it, I had a buyer who... Uh, it wasn't my buyer, it was represented by someone else, and this buyer could not qualify for the loan and literally had to withdraw their offer the day before closing. So uh, in that uh, particular scenario, the buyer wound up losing their earnest money and all the money they put in for inspections and everything like that. So that was definitely not uh, a good deal. So uh, just keep that in mind. Do not open up any other lines of credit. That's, that's a big no-no. Secondly, for both buyers and sellers, one of the biggest problems that we've seen in recent memory anyway is inspection reports. Now, in Texas, uh, inspectors are governed by uh, the Texas Real Estate Commission. That's the same licensing agency for uh, those of us that, that buy or sell homes as real estate agents. So they have all of this training and qualifications that they have to have in order to inspect the home. So their reports are also regulated by the state. And the state says that they have to inspect all aspects of the home. And there's a great big long list of that stuff. So these inspectors come in and they literally check everything. Everything from plumbing to electrical to foundation. And it depends on the inspector as to how deep they get into the foundation. But they are looking for signs of distress or maybe settling or some other issues that could come up. They inspect the roof. They inspect the water heater, your water pressure, uh, just a number of different things. 
So by the time the buyer gets that inspection report, the shortest one I've seen is 27 pages. The longest one that I've seen was on a duplex, actually, was 90-some-odd pages. So when you get a look at those inspection reports, they're intimidating as all get out. In fact, for a buyer who's not experienced in purchasing a home, that inspection report can seem quite daunting. However, I'm here to tell you that most of the time, those inspection reports are not as bad as it seems. Remember, the older the home, the more likely you're going to find more problems with that home. That's not always the case, but in many instances, the older the home, the more problems could pop up. And that can be any number of things. It can be uh, electrical panels need to be upgraded because of their age. Maybe the wiring, especially in a really old home, uh, aluminum wiring is no longer the thing. Now it's copper wiring. Uh, so uh, there could be some things that pop up. Uh, one of the other things that we keep in mind are uh, the codes as far as when a house is built or when uh, appliances and things are installed in a home. Well, jurisdictions, cities, municipalities, uh, county uh, or state law, uh, sometimes governs what these uh, things are, what these, these conditions are. So sometimes uh, when a house is built, uh, the water heater will be put in up to code at that time. The air conditioning is put in up to code at that time, uh, those kinds of things. However, when the home is inspected 10 years later, those codes have changed. And it's almost always the water heater, sometimes it's the air conditioner, sometimes it's even plumbing or wiring. So a lot of those codes have changed over time. So you may get a deficient uh, notification on the inspection report, but it has to do with the codes. Because the codes are not, uh, the, the, the work that was done at the time the house was built, or that appliance was installed, or that uh, new electrical appliance was installed and all that, may have been up to code at that time, but it's not up to today's code. That doesn't mean that it's a true deficiency in that uh, it needs to be corrected before closing, but uh, it's just something to be aware of. So I'm, I'm really good about uh, talking with the buyers before they get the inspection report because I want them to understand how intimidating this inspection report is. But I also want them to understand that there are things that we're going to pay attention to that are extremely important. So to me, one of the, the, some of the things that we really look for are, number one, health and safety. If there is something that is health and safety related, then we definitely want the seller to take a look at that and possibly uh, repair that or replace whatever it is that's messed up. Uh, sometimes it's a, something as simple as the uh, smoke detectors uh, aren't working properly. It could be a dead battery or it could be that those things need to be replaced. They're not that expensive, but that is a health and safety thing. Sometimes I've seen rails like along steps. Uh, there are regulations as to how high those steps have to be before they have rails on them. Sometimes the rails are missing. Sometimes those things need to be addressed as well. So if there's any number of health and safety factors that could come up. Wiring is almost always a health and safety thing, but it depends on what's wrong with it. So if it's just not up to code, that's not a problem. But if we start seeing breakers that are overloaded or extremely high temperatures uh, going into that, that, uh, that electrical box, then those kinds of things we want to have addressed by a professional. Now, mind you, the inspector is not a trade professional. The inspector is not a plumber. They are not licensed electricians, most of them. Uh, they are not uh, roofers. But they inspect the home to let you know what may need to be looked at by one of those trade professionals. So that's one of the things to kind of keep in mind uh, is, is, is hire a, a trade professional. So one of the trade professionals that are actually three or four of them that we typically use when we find problems. Uh, one of them is a roofer. We have a couple of roofers that uh, if we discover uh, what is a potential problem on a roof, we'll have a roofer go out and take a look at it and give us an idea of whether the roof needs to be replaced or repaired. Uh, and if it needs to be repaired, we usually get an estimate of the costs. 
If it needs to be replaced, then typically that is an insurance claim for the seller to do. So when we have those insurance claims, then those things can be negotiated out and worked out as well. So those are just one of those things. Another one is foundations. And believe it or not, in Texas, foundation companies are not regulated by the state. So anyone can start up a foundation company. So when uh, uh, real estate professionals uh, typically will have a list of professionals, uh, true professional foundation companies that they work with, that can actually come in and inspect a foundation and give you the, the thumbs up or say something's wrong with it, it needs to be adjusted or, or whatever. So you want to be sure to use a credible and, and long-lasting uh, company, uh, somebody that's going to be around for a long, long time. And one of the things that we look for, too, is whether or not the work, if it's done, has a lifetime transferable warranty. Now, remember, lifetime transferable warranty does not mean lifetime of the house. That typically means lifetime of the foundation company, which means that's why you want to try to find a reliable foundation company to do that kind of work for you. How it is in other states, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I just know that in Texas, that's pretty much uh, how, how it works here. So on the seller side, there are some things that you can do to kind of head, the, head this off at the forefront. So before you actually list your home, you can actually have a, an inspection done on your home. That's called a pre-listing inspection. So that does a couple of things. Number one, it helps you as the seller understand some of the conditions of your home that you may not be aware of. How many of us are actually up on our roof? I hardly ever go on my roof. I'm just not going to do that. It's very steep. It's very high. That's not my job. I'm not going to get on my roof. So I may not be aware of uh, the condition of my roof. So I'm going to hire somebody to get up there and take a look at that. Usually an inspection, they can have a drone fly over the top of it, maybe see some areas of concern. Uh, and then we get the roofer, actually climb up on the roof and take a look and verify uh, that there are problems or negate the fact that there are problems. May not be any uh, problems at all. You just never know. So once you, you get that inspection report back as the seller, then you have several options. You can either price the home in its current condition and lower the price to match what you believe the condition of that home actually is. Or you can go ahead and start making some of those repairs. And as your professional agent, I'm going to advise you of some of the things that you might be able to do that will actually bring a little bit more uh, cost to you. In other words, if you do the work, it might bring a little bit more money at the closing table. That's not normally the case. It just depends on what it is. For example, flooring. If you know that you've got worn out carpet, I would not replace the flooring. But I would maybe offer an allowance, a carpet allowance or a flooring allowance to the buyer at closing. And the reason being is that a lot of buyers will come in and they want to put their own flooring in. So if I go and I spend the money and I replace all the carpet with what I like, but then another buyer comes in and sees all that, they're going to rip all of that out and start over again with their own stuff. So basically, I just wasted that money. So on flooring and stuff like that, typically that's not a big deal, but at least you know about it ahead of time so you can kind of head that off at the pass. You can also have your air conditioner and heater inspected. That is a very good thing because that, that comes up quite often. Uh, and, you know, another thing, too, is that in Texas, uh, typically as part of our contracts, we try to negotiate out a home warranty. Now, a home warranty is not the, the, the solve-all when it comes to inspection reports. There are many agents out there that believe if the seller is paying for a home warranty that the seller will turn around and... Um, uh, not take care of any of the repairs. Well, that's just not the way it is. So, uh, you know, the, the, the home warranty will cover many things, but it doesn't cover everything. 
And just because it's, uh, you know, if it comes up and it's deficient at the time the inspection is done, then those things need to be corrected or the home warranty is not going to cover it. So, for example, the air conditioner, and this is just an example. Let's assume that the air conditioner isn't performing the way that it should be. Well, I have heard many times where a seller has decided they're not going to do anything about the air conditioner because the, they're paying for a home warranty. Well, that's just not the way to go because the home warranty isn't going to cover that. And as a buyer's agent, I'm going to make sure that the client is protected and we're going to insist that that air conditioner uh, be looked at by a professional. And sometimes it's nothing more than the air conditioner needs to be cleaned or the system needs to be cleaned out. Uh, sometimes there's something a little bit more serious going on that needs to be taken care of. And that should be on the seller to take care of that. So anyway, that's just some of the things that you can do uh, to kind of head that off a little bit. So uh, once the inspection is completed, well, then one of the things that the agents do is they come together and they try to negotiate out a repair. So what I do is I meet with the clients first and uh, hear from the clients what they think are important items to them. And then we go through that entire inspection report. And it never ceases to amaze me things that I think are serious, the buyer does not. And things that the buyer thinks are serious that I think, well, that, that, that's a, what I call a honeydew list thing. But for a lot of folks, it's all about, I mean, let's look at it like this. For you as the buyer, it's your money. You're buying that house. You need to be satisfied with your purchase. And not just satisfied, I want you to be happy by the time we get to the closing table. So uh, kind of keep that in mind. That's, that's, one of the, that's the big goal. The big goal is for everybody to get to the closing table and be happy about their sale or their, their purchase. So another common problem uh, is appraisals. So depending on the kind of a loan that the buyer is working on uh, or that they have applied for might, uh, might affect the appraisal. Not necessarily affect the appraisal itself, but the appraisal could affect that purchase. So what I mean by that is for folks that are using a federally backed loan, which is the, the uh, FHA loans, VA loans, or maybe a USDA loan, or any other uh, loan program out there, then the home has to meet appraisal. What does that mean? So if you purchase a home or you have an offer that you've presented at 300000 and it's accepted and you're moving forward, well, then that home must appraise for 300000 So if you're doing a conventional loan or a cash, then the appraisal doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, on a conventional loan, if the appraisal comes in low, then typically we can negotiate that out to where we meet in the middle. And what I mean by that is on a $300,000 home, let's assume it came in at the appraisal came in at $290,000. Well, that's a $10,000 difference. So typically we can uh, negotiate it out so that the seller comes down $10,000, the, uh, the seller comes down $5,000, the buyer goes up $5,000, and we meet in the middle. That typically is a, a good way to do that. But that can't necessarily be done on an FHA or a USDA loan. With those folks, the reason they're using those particular loans is because they don't have the cash uh, to be able to pay additional money uh, towards this. And not only that, when the federal government backs these loans up, they have to make sure that the loan that they're supporting is supported by the appraisal. So if that home comes in, like on an FHA, if the home comes in at 290000 that home is $290,000 period. The buyer is not able to negotiate that price. So the seller either has to come down to that 290000 or the buyer can terminate that contract and get their money, earnest money back. So the other thing too, is that on an FHA uh, appraisal, that appraisal stays with that home for six months. So what that means is no matter who else uh, with an FHA loan comes in, uh, and tries to purchase that home, they have to purchase it at $290,000 or less. They cannot purchase it for over that. 
So what that does is if the seller has to turn around and put that house back on the market, then they either, if they want to put it back out at that $300,000 mark, then they're not going to be able to sell to USDA or FHA. Now, with VA, they might be able to because sometimes the veterans have enough cash where they can negotiate that out and do like a conventional and meet halfway. So the VA is not quite as strict on those uh, appraisals as USDA and FHA loans. So I hope I explained all that well. So uh, the way you can avoid that uh, kind of an issue as a seller is to listen to your professional agent, your listing agent. When the listing agent turns around and does all of this homework to try to come up with a listing price, they are looking at or should be looking at what homes closed for in the past six months. By doing that, then they are able to come up with a sales price that should meet appraisal. That doesn't mean it's always going to meet appraisal because it won't. But most of the time, you can get pretty close to it and, and proceed from there. And on a rare occasion, I've seen it so that the appraisal comes back higher than what the purchase price is. As the seller, you may not ever know how much that appraisal is unless it comes in low. If it comes in what they say at value or above, then you're only going to be told that the appraisal met value. That's as simple as that. They're not going to tell you how much it actually appraised for. So uh, just kind of keep that in mind. So if you, if you don't price the home properly, then you could have a problem with the appraisal later on. So let me give you an example of that. Let's assume that you price your home at, say, 300000 but you, the, the agent has told you that it will probably appraise for somewhere between 275 and 300. Well, you want to go for the max money because you're the seller and you want the most money. It makes perfect sense, right? So you list the house at 300, you get an offer at 300, but the comps show that it should be somewhere around 285. So uh, comps are the comparables. Those are the ones that have sold in the recent uh, past that are similar in size, similar in age. Uh, of the and, and have lots that are similar in size to the target property. What that means is if your property, uh, we're using comps that are similar to your house as a seller. So with that said, uh, it should come back around 285, and lo and behold, the appraisal comes in at 285. Well, now uh, that's how we, we come up with that. So had the house been priced, say, at 275, then you might get multiple offers and wind up getting that 285, or if you go in at 285, then uh, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck because, you know, you might get multiple offers and you might not. So it just depends. Uh, it, it really is a, a, an interesting dynamic there. So it's very tough as a seller to be able to appropriately price your house. But please listen to what your agents are telling you because they actually have a really good idea of where it should uh, appraise for. Now, with that said, uh, I want to qualify this as well. Agents typically are not appraisers, so they cannot give you an opinion of value. What they can say is that in today's market, the sales, the comparable sales show that the sales price should be in, in this particular range. I usually give a range, and I try to give it from the low end to the high end, and it depends on the condition of the home uh, and some of the upgrades and things like that. There's a lot that goes into an appraisal, uh, and that's for another episode, and I'm not an appraiser, so uh, maybe I can invite one on the show one day. So another thing that could affect a, uh, a deal would be liens on the property. So I actually had a deal come up not long ago where uh, a seller had solar panels on the roof of his house. So he had listed the house for, I don't even remember how much, but he had listed the house for a particular amount. And uh, we actually got under contract for that house. Uh, the, the offer was really solid and it was below listing price, but it was a very solid offer. And the seller agreed to it. 
signs all the paperwork, sends it all over to us. We now have an executed contract. The buyers are trying to get the earnest money and the option money over to the title company. Within about a half an hour or so of us executing that contract, I receive an email from the seller stating that the buyers needed to obtain a secondary loan to take over the purchase of the solar panels. Well, that's not how this works in Texas. In Texas, if you have solar panels on your home or you have a water softener system in, in your home as a seller and you're trying to sell those things and there is a lien on the property, then those liens have to get paid at, out of the proceeds at closing. So in this particular instance, the seller had no choice uh, but to move forward on the sale of his property and uh, he was going to have to take the proceeds out or he was going to have to pay the, the panels off out of the proceeds of his uh, loan. So, or out uh, of the sale of his property. So, that particular loan was a $45,000 loan. So, remember in the very beginning, I said, don't open up any other lines of credit. So, for these particular buyers, if they were to turn around and try to get credit, a line of credit to purchase those solar panels, then one of the biggest issues they could have is it would throw off their debt to income ratio, and then all of a sudden they wouldn't be able to qualify for the loan of the home. So uh, that's one of the reasons why in Texas, if there is a lien against your property, those liens get paid at the time of closing out of the proceeds. I apologize for my dog. <clears throat> so like I said, the, uh, the proceeds uh, out of the sale of that property would pay off those liens. So what are liens? Well, there could be tax liens. So uh, let's assume uh, I've got my house on the market and I failed to pay property taxes or I failed to pay IRS uh, taxes or something along those lines, and those tax liens have been filed against me and are now as a lien on my property. Well, once I get to closing, then those tax liens will be paid off. Additionally, there are mechanics liens. A mechanics lien isn't necessarily uh, a car mechanic. It's just a term that's used for uh, liens that could be uh, put on your property for money that, that is owed to some other person. So, for example, uh, let's assume that I had work done on my house. I had all the flooring replaced but I failed to, to complete the payment uh, to the contractor that did all the work. The contractor will file what's known as a mechanics lien against me and put that on my house so that when I sell the house, uh, I have to pay that lien. So that's uh, what a mechanics lien is. The other kind of a lien would be from the HOA. So let's assume that I've been given a fine or I have failed to pay uh, my HOA dues in a timely manner, so the HOA has now filed uh, a lien against my property as well. So uh, I need to pay those things off in order to sell the property. Well, those also get paid out of the proceeds, or I can make an agreement with every one of these things to pay those things off before we get to closing. But the bottom line is I cannot sell the house if I have those liens against the property. So those liens have to be paid off. So as a seller, how am I going to know that? I think that I have paid all of my bills. I think that I don't have any property tax liens on me. So how am I going to know for sure? How am I going to know if, uh, you know, somebody has filed a mechanics lien against me? Well, as soon as I decide to list my house, then I'm going to get with the title company and have them do what's known as open title. When they open title, they do a search for that sort of thing. So these liens will pop up ahead of time. So at least that way I know, okay, I need to do something to kind of work this out. Uh, so at least that way it won't delay closing and it won't cause any hiccups later on. So in Texas, uh, a seller has very few ways to get out of a contract. So once you've decided that you're going to sell your house and you sign that contract, that offer that comes in, and you agree to the offer that's been presented, 
then you are now officially under contract. Once you are officially under contract as a seller, you're selling your house. So just go ahead and get that mindset that you're selling your house. There are very few ways you can get out of not selling your house. Uh, for the buyer, on the other hand, there are a multitude of ways a buyer can get out of purchasing the home. So most of that has to do with financing, maybe the inspection or the option period. There's a number of other things uh, that a buyer can do to get out of the contract. But as a seller, there's very few things. So one of the things you need to pay attention to of both sellers and buyers are the dates and the timelines within these contracts. So there are a multitude of different things in there. Number one is earnest money, in Texas anyway, earnest money and option money have to be delivered to the title company within three days. So that's extremely important. So within three days, that earnest money has to get there. If it doesn't, then a buyer can be found in breach. If they're found in breach, the contract is no longer valid, and there's, there could be some legal ramifications behind that. So you don't want that. You want to make sure that you abide by that and get that in there. Um, getting the seller's disclosure. Most of the time here in, in the Austin area, our seller's disclosures are available with the listing, so we don't have that issue. But let's assume that there's been no seller's disclosure given to us yet. Well, there are very few instances in Texas where a seller does not have to provide a seller's disclosure. Your agent will be familiar with that, so ask them. In the meantime, let's assume that they just haven't, the seller just hasn't completed it yet, and they've got an offer that they're going to accept, so they sign off on it, and in that offer it says that they have to get that uh, seller's disclosure to the buyer within three days. Well, that is three calendar days, so get that to them within three calendar days. As a seller, you don't want to be in breach of that contract. Then there's the financing addendum, third-party finance. Uh, typically, that's negotiated out as to how many days it'll take for the buyer to get a conditional approval for that, the purchase of that home. So you want to, as a buyer, you want to make sure that you, you get all the documents to the lender in a very timely manner so that that deadline can be met as well. And there are a couple other deadlines in there that your agents will be uh, filling you in about. So finally, as a buyer, it behooves you to be honest with the lender. You need to disclose all of your income. You also need to disclose all of your payments. They're going to have access to your bank accounts to start looking for trends, and they do this on purpose. It's required by law. So if you'll remember back in 2007 and 2008, Daniel and I have talked about this a number of times, about how the housing bubble and the market crashed and everything like that. That was specifically due to the fact that folks were getting loans that had no business getting loans. After that, the laws were changed so that today it's less likely that something like that is going to occur. So with that, you want to make sure that you're honest with the lender about everything. So what I mean by that is you may not intend to be dishonest, but there could be something that pops up that you haven't told the lender about. For example, let's assume you get a $10,000 deposit in your, in your bank account, and it could be from the sale of some furniture or sale of a car or sale of who knows what. Uh, so now you've deposited that $10,000. Well, that's going to trigger a red flag with the lender because they're monitoring your accounts. So when that big deposit comes in, if you haven't said anything to the lender, then that could trigger some problems for you later on because then the, the underwriter is going to come back and say, hey, by the way, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, you just had a $10,000 deposit. We need to trace that deposit. So uh, make sure that you tell them about all, all forms of income, regardless of what it is or how much it is, at least that way, uh, it doesn't trigger anything later on. One of the buyers that I worked with uh, a couple of years ago had something like that happen, and it didn't kill the deal, but it did delay us for several days because the underwriter had so many questions about it, 
And it, it was multiple accounts involved and things like that. So these underwriters are now very, very particular about uh, what it is that they're doing on that. So make sure that you, you tell them, uh, because most of this stuff is very easily explained. But if you don't tell them, then it, it could cause problems down the line. And for the sellers, uh, your final point for today is overdisclosure is not a bad thing. What I mean by that, and this actually happened to me personally, uh, my wife and I had purchased a house and uh, we didn't have it inspected, shame on us, but uh, even if we had it inspected, I don't think we would have discovered some of the problems that we found. Uh, we start doing a remodel and I start noticing that there's some issues with the, the rafters uh, in the attic. So my contractor and I climb up in the attic and we discovered that there had been a house fire. That house fire had never been disclosed to us. So we don't know when that house fire was, but I did notice, and I had mentioned this several times throughout our purchase, uh, that there had been some damage done to the wood flooring in the kitchen. And nobody could tell me what caused that water damage. So uh, the, the buyer, I'm sorry, the seller had no idea. The agent had no idea. But when I got up into the attic and I discovered where that fire was at, it was actually over the kitchen. So it just stands to reason to me that that fire caused the water damage as well uh, on that flooring, and it was never disclosed to us. So one of the biggest uh, or some of the, the majority of the lawsuits resulting in a real estate transaction come from disclosures or failure to disclose. In that particular situation, uh, maybe the, the seller uh, who had purchased it from somebody else, he was maybe the third or the fourth owner of that particular property. Who knows how long ago that fire happened, but it was never disclosed to that guy either. So with that, we don't know when that fire actually occurred. Uh, so there was actually no true legal ramifications that I could have had against anyone. Uh, but that's where the vast majority of lawsuits come from is from under disclosure. So if you're aware of a problem with your house, disclose it. That includes termites. That includes water damage from any part. If you've done an insurance claim, disclose that because trust me, the insurance claim is going to come up. And the reason being is that with the buyer, they're going to apply for insurance and the insurance company search that property to look for claims. So if there's been an insurance claim, be sure to disclose that. And it doesn't matter if it's been you had a broken uh, toilet and the water leaked all over the kitchen or all over the house and you had to replace the flooring and some of the sheetrock, but you did an insurance claim that needs to be disclosed. If the roof had hail damage, a completely natural weather event, and you filed an a, uh, insurance claim to have the roof replaced, then that needs to be disclosed. Uh, if the foundation has cracks in it in certain places and you notice that the doors are sticking in the wall, the windows won't open up the way they're supposed to, disclose those kinds of things. So anything, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, over-disclosure is always in your best interest as a seller. Uh, and as a buyer, you know, as a seller, you may think that overdisclosure is going to affect the sales price of the home. Not necessarily. What it does show for the buyer is how honest you are as a seller. And that goes a very, very long way. So it also helps, too, with the, the real estate professionals involved in these transactions. When we start seeing things like that and we realize how much the seller is willing to cooperate, uh, that speaks volumes. So just kind of keep that in mind. Those are the kinds of things that, that uh, uh, we pay attention to. So I've actually covered a whole lot of material today. Uh, I hope it's been very valuable to you. Uh, if it has, please do me a favor. Um, leave us a review. Uh, give me a thumbs up. Follow it. Share it with somebody who this might be appropriate for. Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you would do that. Uh, check out our YouTube channel uh, and follow us on there as well. Uh, we really do appreciate all the, the efforts. 
And a lot of this stuff, uh, now I'm starting to hear back from you all, and uh, so we're able to come up with content that's more appropriate to what you want to hear. So we really do appreciate that. We respond to all the comments. By all means, please leave a comment, share it, refer us out, and, and I'd appreciate it. And then finally, referrals, referrals, referrals. If you need it, contact us. We'll refer somebody to you. I don't care if it's a photographer, a painter, a plumber, an electrician, a roofer, uh, some of the best restaurants around Central Texas, you know, things of that nature. It doesn't matter what it is. If you need a referral, reach out to us. We have it for you. And if you know somebody looking to buy or sell real estate here in the Central Texas area or anywhere in the United States, it doesn't matter. Reach out to us because we can get you a realtor uh, to, that can actually help you out. We've got connections literally across this country. Uh, with some of the best folks that you can possibly imagine. I've got a huge network that I'm part of uh, that I do referrals with all the time, and I'm telling you, you would love them. So please, reach out to us. That's it for today's Cha uh, Chapel Real Estate Show. I appreciate you all tuning in to us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us this week on the Chapel Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Find us on social media at Chapel Realty Group and online at chapelrealtygroup.com. Until next time.